Welcome to the RBC Pulpit Podcast. This week, Pastor Rusty continues his sermon series on the book of 1 Corinthians with a sermon titled, The Immature Christian. This sermon deals with the fact that Paul dealt with some immature Christians in the city of Corinth, and because of their immaturity, they were into fighting and quarreling more than they were about sharing the gospel and sharing the love of Jesus Christ. So sit back and relax as Brother Rusty teaches about 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So here's the scene. Remember, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and there's these Christians. There's a lot of sin in the church. This is a very, very wealthy town, very wealthy town, lots of trade, lots of money, lots of sin, lots of sin. And so when we saw in the chapter 1 where Paul was addressing some division in the church, some guy saying, I follow Apollos, I follow um, I follow Paul, I follow Peter, I follow Jesus. But then in chapter 3, Paul comes back to it. Paul comes back to it. So let's set the stage first. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 through 2 says this, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready. So let's kind of break this down and set the scene. Is Paul talking to Christians or non-Christians? Well, we know that he's talking to Christians because one, he addresses them as brothers. He addresses them as brothers. And then also he addresses them as infants in Christ. So these are Christians. So the title is... The immature Christian. And so sometimes we think if somebody is acting in such a way that isn't very Christianly, we think, well, they must not be a Christian. Well, that could be. There is people that uh, they say they're Christians, but they actually aren't Christians. But we know this, that there are two types of Christians. The mature Christian and the immature Christian. And so what we want to do today is we want to look at this passage, understand how Paul addressed immature Christians in this church, and then we want the Lord to kind of grind us a little bit in any of our immaturity. Because we all have some immaturity. We all have some ability to grow, to be more like Christ. So Paul is addressing Christians. Now, Look in verse 2, infants. He calls them infants. And he uses this analogy of a baby. He says, listen, when I came first, I gave you milk. And, and that was not a bad thing. But he wants to give them solid food. But they are not mature enough to have solid food. Now, let me ask you this. Is there anything wrong with being a baby? Is there anything wrong with being a baby? No, there's nothing wrong with being a baby. Is there something wrong with staying a baby? Okay, you guys, I got to tell you this. I mean, 
This was, okay, I was probably around 14 or 15. This is when there was a thing called cable. I don't know if you guys ever heard of it. But what it was is there's channels that, you know, there's maybe 12 channels, and then you would just select through. So there I am around 14, 15 years old, and I am cycling through this, trying to find Saved by the Bell or something. And there was a show called Jerry Springer. Do you guys remember this? I mean terrible show but anyways I'm cycling through and there is a grown man on the stage in a crib and I'm like does anybody else see what is happening here and it was some sort of thing that this man wanted to stay a baby we're talking like a 30 year old man dressed in a onesie on a crib on the stage of Jerry Springer and I researched a little bit of it. I got on this psychiatric website, and there's this, it's not like a real technical thing, but they're trying to figure it out, but adult baby syndrome, where people want to be a baby, but they're full grown. Is that creepy? Is that weird? Absolutely. Absolutely. What in the world is this man doing? And so Paul comes here and says, what are you bunch of babies doing? You shouldn't be drinking milk. You should be solid food. But yet you still are acting like babies. You are immature. Not a good thing. Look at 1 Corinthians 3.3. 3. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh? And behaving only in a human way. So this, this, uh, this term right here, for you are still the flesh, literally means fleshy ones. You are still fleshy ones. Now, there is a couple different ways we can look at flesh. We look at flesh as in this is just my flesh. You know, it's like a, it's a, it's a human anatomy term. Or flesh represents the sinful nature. And that's what Paul is addressing here. You are still fleshy ones. You still have this sinful nature. There's jealousy in their strife that is in you. That's in the church. That's in the gathered together ones. You're fleshy. You're fleshy. You're immature and you are like a baby. Now, here's the thing. Paul loves these people. He loves, loves, loves them. But let me ask you this. Mom's in the room or grandma's in the room. If your son is 30 years old and he wants to live in a crib and wear a onesie, what are you going to do to him? You love him, right? I need one grandma to step up and tell me what you're going to do to that man. You're going to tell, I know, Betty, you want to say it. If Derek was in a onesie, what are we going to do to Derek? We're going to take Derek and we are going to lovingly, remember, love is telling the truth, not celebrating evil. We saw that in 1 Corinthians 13. Now, the world's definition is, remember, is love, I could do whatever you want and you need to accept it. Wrong. God's definition of love is patient, kind, but does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. So the truth is, Derek, we love you, man. 
but you need to get out the onesie. We're going to burn that thing. Krista says, I will smack him if he ever gets into adult baby syndrome. So the loving thing to do is Paul saying, listen, no, no. And there's been multiple years that have gone by. And think about this. They have, Paul was the founder of this church, which the apostle Paul, he's amazing. God used him greatly. And then they have Apollos, which is this amazing preacher. But the congregation is still immature. Now, how are they immature? How are they marked by being babies? Immature, they're marked by jealousy and strife. Let me read you guys a story about jealousy that I found. Two shopkeepers were bitter rivals. Their stores were directly across the street from each other, and they would spend each day keeping track of each other's business. If one got a customer, he would smile and triumph at his rival. One night, an angel appeared to one of the shopkeepers in a dream and said, I will give you anything you ask, but whatever you receive, your competitor will receive twice as much. Would you be rich? You can be very rich, but he will be twice as wealthy. Do you wish to live a long and healthy life? You can, but his life will be longer and healthier. What is your desire? The man frowned, thought a moment, and then said, Here's my request. Strike me blind in one eye. You get it? Strike me blind in one eye, he'll get twice, so he'll be blind in both eyes. Okay. I thought it was funny. But here's the point. Jealousy is not an attitude that should be found in Christians. Jealousy is not an attitude that should be found in Christians. What is jealousy? Jealousy is me wanting what you have. You have something, I want it. So its root cause is selfishness. And what happens when you get two, four kids together that all want the same thing? What is going to happen? Any of my Sunday school teachers who let's say that you had two suckers left and you have four children. You pass those other two out. What are those other two kids going to do? What? It's going to breed a fight, strife, right? Because they're jealous. They want what another child has. They aren't going to say, you know, I'm just so glad that you got that sucker. I'm going to rejoice that things are going well for you. Do they do that? No. That would be a very mature response. The immature response is, I'm going to tear your hair out to get what you have. And so here's what Paul is saying is, listen, this cannot be named among you. You need to mature. Now here's a question. Did you know Christians, those that are saved by grace, set apart for good works, Did you know they can be fleshy? We're talking adults can be fleshy. I know, I know that we don't know anyone like this, and we 
certainly are not these people. But here's the thing. Sometimes when people think they come to Christ, they aren't going to be tempted to be fleshy. They aren't going to be tempted to sin because the word from the pulpit is come to Christ and all of your wildest dreams will come true. Everything will be great and you'll have no more struggles. They come to Christ and then they realize, wait a minute, I still have desire to sin. There's still a fleshiness about me. Let me read to you Romans chapter 6. It's a longer section, but it's worth it. 6 through 14. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So, stop right there. Understand that before you were a Christian, you are a slave to sin, which means you had to do what your master said. Verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. You're like, wait, what do you mean died? Well, We have died in Christ. When he bore our sin on the cross, he set us free from our sinful nature. Those that are his, he set us free. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Why, is, why are we being told that we need to consider ourselves dead to sin? Because there's a tendency to still want to sin. There's a temptation that we still want to sin. Look at verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body and make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as an instrument for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. So here's how this works, is that we're a slave to sin. Before we know Christ, we're a slave to sin. We have to keep sinning. We sin, we sin, we sin. And you think, man, I don't, I just, I have to continue to sin. And people do, man, they get wrapped up in sin and they just continue on and on and on, a whole life full of sin. And then what happens is that they come to Christ and then they are set free from sin. They're no longer a slave to sin. But still within us, the Bible teaches, is that we have a fleshiness about us. Our flesh still desires sin. Now, we're no longer a slave. We don't have to obey its desires. But Christians, understand, there is still that desire for us to sin. And you think, well, Rusty, get to the good news. Okay, here's the good news. Good news is this. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation is overtaking you that is not calm to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. So anybody in here, take heart that you will never be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So, 
The great news is this. Well, I guess the bad news is that there's still fleshiness about us. There's still a temptation, a desire to act immature and want to continue to participate in sin. But here's what God is saying. Hey, take heart. I will never allow you to be in a situation where you cannot overcome the temptation. I will always provide for you a way out. Now, sometimes the way out is running. Remember Joseph sold into slavery in Potiphar's house? And his wife was like, okay, you, she, you know, she wanted to be with Joseph. And what was the way of escape? Was he like, now listen, ma'am, let's think this through. No, what was the way? Dude, he, he ran. He was out, ran, she grabbed his clothes, and then he wiggled out, and he was out. Sometimes that is the way out of temptation. We put ourselves in positions where sin can't get us. A way of escape is maybe we don't get on the internet late at night. Maybe we put the computer, the house computer, where everyone can see it. We share our phone with our spouse. We say, you know what? I don't want any temptation to overtake me. So what am I going to do? I'm going to use wisdom. God will provide a way out. Now here's another way. God uses the church to protect us as well. What's the church? We looked at that last week. The church is the gathering together of the saints. Who is a saint? You are. Those that have trusted Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior, is a saint. So the God uses the church to protect us from sin. Proverbs 18.1 says, He who separates himself seeks his own will. You start seeing a person not come to church, they're in sin. They're in sin. Hey, how's it going? Oh, it's great. Oh, I just, man, work. Woo, work is something else. And I haven't seen you in six months. What's going on? Oh, you know. And then you find out there's sin. There's sin. What does, the God, what does God do? He says, don't forsake the gathering of the brethren. Well, what does that mean? Come together as the church. There's a protective aspect that the church, that God has put in the church. Guess what? You are your brother's keeper. Not out of bitterness, not out of strife, not out of jealousy, but because you love your brother. You love your brother. So if someone's in your Sunday school class and you say, man, I just haven't seen you. Where have you been? I love you. Man, let's get together. You want to bring them back because you love them. You want to protect them. Here's the point. Christians are still tempted to sin. However, we need to resist being used for unrighteousness and seek to be used for righteousness. Now, if you don't understand that word righteous, um, it's right standing before the Lord. So I can stand before God righteous, right standing by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's what God says, let me use you as a tool for righteousness. Let's continue on. Look at verse 4. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulus, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted and Apollos watered. 
but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Here's the point. Don't be fleshy and attribute glory to men, but give the glory to where it is due, to Jesus Christ. What was happening is that there was these preachers and they were identifying with one and, and they were saying, I follow this guy. So that means there was breeding jealousy and strife. And what Paul is saying, listen, the guy who preaches the word, the guy who sows seed, the guy who waters, the guy who evangelizes, they're nothing. They're nothing. Because it's only God who gives the increase. Amen? Oh, that takes all the pressure off of me. It's not on me. I don't have to, like, make someone grow. I just have to go, you know, this is what God says, and I just present the word, and then guess what? The Holy Spirit's power comes in to a person, and he opens their eyes. So it's, I don't have, there's no pressure, and there's no pressure on you when you go. Remember, we talked about that. We're called to go, 2819. We're called to go into all the world and preach the gospel, which means leave this building. We're supposed to go out there and tell people about Jesus. So that house over there, you knock on the door. The pressure is not on you for them to receive Christ. But the pressure is on you to knock on that door. We are called to go. We're called to go. Now look at what Paul talks about wages. Paul talks about wages. He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Here's the point. God uses planters and waterers to accomplish his goals, and planters and waterers are one. There should be no jealousy or strife in God's church. But here's another huge point in this, is that we as Americans are so focused on production and climbing the corporate ladder and being successful. And you know what? I'm not putting that down but what I am saying is we need to take that mindset to the church and think, wait a minute, if they're going to get paid their wages for their labor, am I doing anything, laboring in any way that would require me wages from God? And it's just you, if you just sat down and you got a piece of paper and you said, you know what, if I was going to write out all the spiritual things that I'm doing, what, you know, does God, am I earning anything? I say, okay, number one, I, and you start writing them down. Now here's the thing, some of you will have a lot. Some of you will have a lot and you don't even know it. I think of, you know, a one group of people in here that are greatly used by God are those that raise kids. I mean, you talk about an amazing spiritual work worthy of wages. It's raising the next generation to follow Christ. I mean, just do not let the world put that down. But my encouragement is this. My encouragement for this last point is, you know what, we need to be laboring. But we all don't have the same gift. 
We all don't plant, we all don't water, but we all are one. We put all the pressure on God to bring the increase, but yet we are still called to be a part of his plan. Amen? So we're going to close with the gospel. What's the gospel? Why do I always preach the gospel? Well, remember, we're, we do three things in church. One, we worship God through song. Two, we study his word. And three, we evangelize, which is Matthew 28, 19. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Well, this is considered the world as well. Yes, we're called to go, but at the same time, there are people in here that may not know Christ. So let me present the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we fly through this and we forget the power of the gospel. Here's the power of the gospel is that we are slaves to sin. And if you're in here and you are a slave to sin, no one has to convince you. You look and you see there's an emptiness inside of you. And even if you defend all of your decisions, you know that you just, there's just something there that's not right. And I would encourage you, just don't fight anymore. Don't defend your positions. But here's what God says, is that he's madly in love with you. So much so that he demonstrated his love by saying, I'm going to make a way for you and I to be right again. Because here's what happens. That Adam and Eve, everything was awesome. But the relationship was severed. Because Adam and Eve sinned. And guess what? We inherited that sin. No one had to teach us to sin. We inherited a sinful nature. It's just in us. We, we sin. We sin. And Jesus Christ said, I'm going to make a way for the relationship to be new. And that's why he came. He died on the cross, a brutal death. The creator of all the world allowed his creation to put him to death. And think, man, well, why in the world did he do that? Well, because God is righteous and no one that has sinned can stand before him. And he knows that. So he says, listen. There's only one way for you and I to be right. And it's for there to be someone that has never sinned to pay for your sin. Jesus Christ has paid for your sin. He demonstrated that he has the power over sin by raising from the dead. Now, if you have a problem with the resurrection, you ought to study galaxies. You ought to study like these atoms. And you ought to study, get a, get a magnifying glass and understand the irreducible complexity of organisms. I mean, you, if you have a problem with the resurrection, man, you've, like, even think about this. Your heart is, is, is beating. Well, what makes it beat? What makes the, the whole planets work together and the sun bring heat? Not too much, not too little. I mean, if you got a problem with the resurrection, there's a lot of things you're going to have a problem with. Least of which would be the resurrection. But here's the thing is that Jesus Christ did rise from the dead. And there was eyewitness accounts. Over 500 people saw him. And then the disciples, you know, people don't die for a lie. 
If they were getting ready to be put to death and they knew that they took Jesus' body and they actually hid it, you know, they snuck into the tomb, they hid it, Peter, you know, they put him in here and they're hiding Jesus over there and they said, okay, we're getting ready to crucify you, Peter. Remember, upside down. They hang Peter upside down. You know he would be like, time out. We were just joking. It's actually over there. I'm just, just joking. But no, Peter knew it wasn't a lie. He saw the resurrected Christ with his own eyes. And he said this, I'm going to die for my Savior because I know that Jesus rose from the dead. And so here's the thing, Saint, if you don't know Christ, here's how you know him. You admit that the reason why he died was because of you. And you think, well, wait, what do you mean? Well, he tells us all the reasons why he died. He names all the sins. He says, these are the sins that I died for. You admit that you are a sinner. You admit that you wrong, that you failed. And then you say, Lord, I plead for grace and for mercy. Grace, getting what you don't deserve. Mercy, not getting what you do deserve. You say, I, I plead grace and mercy. And guess what? The Bible says that, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Isn't that great news, saints? So let's pray. And if you're here that you don't know Christ or you're not sure if you know Christ, man, you have no idea if today is the last day that you're going to be on earth. And I would encourage you, don't wait. No matter how young, how old you are, don't wait. He loves you. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. We pray that your Holy Spirit would move upon people. Lord, that they would feel your love. They would feel your tugging at their heart. They would want you. They would say, I, I want you. I want to be reborn. I want all this guilt that I walk around with to be taken from me. I want to be washed clean, whiter than snow. I want to be right with you. I want to feel your love. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just move. Lord, you're amazing. You're worthy to be praised. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's all we have for our podcast today. If you would like more information about Russville Baptist Church and our ministries, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.russvillebaptistchurch.com, or you can find us on social media at Facebook and Instagram under Russville Baptist Church. Well, join us next time as Pastor Rusty continues his series in the book of 1 Corinthians. But until then, have a great week and God bless.